Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO USA's private equity practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization. Hello, and welcome to BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. I'm Todd Kinney, National Relationship Director in BDO's private equity practice based here in New York City. Today, we're speaking with a couple private equity professionals who lead business development at their respective firms. A quick reminder to our listeners that the remarks and opinions of our guests do not necessarily represent BDO's views. And with that out of the way, I'd like to introduce you to our first guest, Alice Birnbaum. Uh, Senior Vice President and Head of Business Development with BBH Capital Partners. Welcome to the show, Alice. Thank you, Todd. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Great to have you. Next, I'd like to introduce Stephen Connor, who's a Managing Director and Head of Business Development at Hamilton Robinson Capital. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here with you and Alice. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, to kick things off, perhaps each of you can share a little background about your firm and your role there. And Alice, ladies first. Thanks, Todd. Sure. So BBH Capital Partners is the private equity business within Brown Brothers Harriman. We focus on partnering with founder, family, and management-owned companies that have not yet taken on institutional equity before. So we employ a flexible investment approach that allows us to customize each investment to the needs of the business and its owners. So to that end, we can be a majority or a minority investor, and we're flexible in the amount of capital per investment that we deploy and also how we structure our investments. We currently have about $3 billion in capital under management, and we invest across industries, including healthcare, as well as healthcare technology, technology and telecom, and then business and industrial products and services. So we're a, we're a generalist investor. Um, I've been at the firm for about 15 years. I started in Brown Brothers banking business and then moved over to join our private equity practice about five years ago as the head of business development. Excellent. Well, I should uh, note to our listeners, this is actually your second time on the podcast. So welcome back. I'm guessing, Alice, we must have received a ton of great feedback from your first appearance. So that's I'm sure that's why we asked you back. Plus, you're a great client. I hope that's the case. Yeah, plus you're a great client. So let's pivot to Stephen. Stephen, can you tell us about Hamilton Robinson and your role there? Sure, absolutely. Uh, Hamilton Robinson is a lower middle market private equity firm uh, buyout shop located in Stamford, Connecticut. We're focused exclusively in the commercial and industrial space. Uh, we don't do anything in the consumer, retail, healthcare, financial services, strictly commercial and industrial B2B. So we're looking at specialty niche manufacturers, commercial and industrial service companies, industrial technology companies, uh, industrial distribution. Um, so some of the major themes that we're pursuing are automation, robotics, material handling, test and measurement, tech-enabled services, advanced manufacturing. Um, our geography is U.S. and Canada. We're strictly a control investor in our 38 years of history. We've never lost money in a controlled deal, which we're very proud of. And from a size perspective, uh, 3 to 15 of EBITDA. Um, we're investing out of our fifth fund. I've been at Hamilton Robinson for 12 years. 
and I've been heading up our business development during that period. All right. Well, thanks to both of you for the background as it uh, always sets a nice foundation for the conversation going forward. So let's dive into things. Uh, Alice, as you just told us, I know BBH Capital is a generalist investor. And one of the industries you did highlight is healthcare. Just curious what you think the outlook is for healthcare deals and if it's evolved recently. Yeah, absolutely, Todd. So 2021 was a banner year for healthcare buyouts. And the first half of 2022 was strong as well. Q2 was down a little bit compared to the first quarter, but we're still talking about big numbers. In the back end of Q2, there has been a bit of a slowdown as folks are digesting interest rates and whether there's a recession here or on its way here, but that's not really unique to the healthcare sector. Um, a lot of investors think there are good structural, structural tailwinds in healthcare investing. Um, things like demographic tailwinds, including an aging population and more chronic illnesses, there's recession resiliency in the sector. There's more technology being rolled out in healthcare. So there are a lot of tailwinds to keep investment in the healthcare sector robust. There's also a ton of dry powder, given all the healthcare private equity funds that have been raised. But like all sectors, deal-making is negatively impacted when there's uncertainty in the direction of the economy, and healthcare is not exempt from this. I think the biggest new talking point is around new entrants into healthcare or into new parts of healthcare. So Amazon announced the acquisition of One Medical, which is part brick and mortar, part virtual primary care operator. Amazon already has a mail order pharmacy. So now Amazon could be disruptive on the services side in healthcare. CVS also recently announced they're seeking to acquire Signify Health, which does payments and in-home evaluations. So this could all be good for valuations. It could also be disruptive in, in the industry. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But overall, I think in healthcare M&A, there's been more action, a lot of good activity, good long-term trends, and some interesting new entrants into the market. Yeah, certainly, uh, I, I'd have to agree. There's a lot of interesting activity going on in the healthcare space with a lot of our clients, and we'll uh, we'll just have to watch how the uh, deal making pace uh, evolves as the uh, economy potentially changes here. So, Stephen Hamilton Robinson focuses on deals in in different industries, as you know, including manufacturers, distributors, and B two B services, all in the lower middle market. So. I guess it's a two-part question. What are some of the unique considerations when sourcing deals in these industries? And the second part, what are the companies you work with typically looking for in an investment partner? Sure. Yeah, in general, uh, Hamilton Robinson, we like to see a differentiated or technical or branded product or service versus a commodity product or service. For example, I don't mean to de denigrate uh, custodial service companies or steel fabricators. They can be extremely profitable, but they're not overly differentiated. So not a great fit for our investment strategy there. Uh, so when we're reviewing manufacturing companies, we'd like to see their products or systems to be branded or highly engineered, or the, they create productivity gains via their equipment. Uh, for example, we have a portfolio company, Inspire Automation, that manufactured robotic material handling equipment used in the corrugated industry. 
And this equipment reduces labor requirements significantly. So that's uh, you know an automation play, which is certainly important in today's environment with the, the labor issues that companies are facing. Uh, on the service company side, you'd like to see a company that's regulatory or safety or compliance or maintenance driven, uh, driven for their services. For example, too, we have a company uh, portfolio company technology that does under, uh, inspection services and compliance testing of underground fuel storage tanks at gas stations and convenience stores. 90% of the water contamination in the US is from leaking fuel storage tanks. So these guys will go in and you know, check for leaks or any issues there. And each state has its own regulatory regime requiring you know, testing frequencies and what have you. So that's a regulatory driven company. Um, and as far as what companies are looking for an investment partner, I would say there's two categories. You have companies where maybe the owner's looking to for a full exit, and oftentimes, you know, or most times, I should say, they're looking for the highest price. You know, they may have uh, give lip service to taking care of their employees and preserving their legacy. And we'll invest in those type of companies if there's a backable management team that we can uh, uh, work with. Um, without a doubt, there's a lot more shareholders after we acquire a company than before. And then in the second category, I would say these are the owners that are looking to stay on and continue to manage the company. And they're looking for a partner to take the company to the next level, you know, to get the second bite of the apple. And um, so a majority recap, basically, you know, they may need some financial or operational support. And that's where we can play a role and help them get to the next level. I think our track record speaks for itself, having never lost money in a controlled deal. So that's been our bread and butter over the years. And, and that relationship is a true partnership. The, the, the management team has to be as comfortable with us as we are with them. All right. Well, both of you, uh, certainly great insights into the uh, strategies you're pursuing. So uh, appreciate all that good content. Now I'd like to turn it over to our coffee break guest, Alan Castillo. Alan's the national leader of BDO's transaction advisory services operational practice here at BDO. Alan is going to discuss challenges to value creation as well as value creation tactics. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate you having me for this coffee break. As Todd mentioned, I'm Alan Castillo. I'm an M&A partner based in San Francisco, and I lead BDO's operational value creation practice. Alice and Steven have been talking about deal sourcing And what I want to talk to you about today is more part of deal sourcing considerations, and that's value creation. Just to set the stage for my brief talk here, we've been seeing one of the most interesting M&A markets that I can remember. There are things that we are familiar with, but quickly, on the macro level, you've got the Federal Reserve raising interest rates twice in two months, inflation that's the highest it's been since the 1980s, and operationally, some of the biggest challenges to businesses we've seen in years, not decades. Supply chain disruptions, labor shortages caused by the Great Resignation. And of course, there's the uncertainty from geopolitical concerns from Ukraine to Taiwan and China, and here at home with what's going to happen with the midterms. So all these factors are impacting the cost of doing transactions, the valuations of companies, and deal dynamics in general. Deals are still getting done, but the expectations between what sellers want and what private equity firms are willing to pay, well, that gap is not really closing, especially with the volatility with the public markets. 
Buyers are more cautious because of what they're seeing with the rising inflation and interest rates and uncertainty in the economy, while sellers are still trying to get the high multiples that companies have been selling for in the past couple of years. As a side note, BDO's private capital pulse survey this spring showed how gaps between buyer and seller expectations continue on an upward trajectory since the start of the pandemic. Multiples have come down slightly since the second quarter of this year, but not so much that margins still won't be squeezed. We're coming off a record year of deal activity and valuation, so the margins for extracting value are already smaller. It's important for buyers to have a plan to maximize their deal value drivers, and we're seeing this. We're seeing fund managers intensify their focus on value creation, not just post-close, when fund managers typically start putting together the value creation plans into play during deal sourcing. So here are three value creation leading practices. First, develop bottom-up business cases for each value creation opportunity, looking not only at the benefits, but also the cost for achieving the opportunity, the timing to achieve it, and any dependencies or risks that need to be mitigated. Second, Prioritize these value creation opportunities and develop a plan to sequence the realization of the opportunities in order to minimize the disruptions to the organizations. And finally, define the metrics and mechanisms for tracking the realization of the value creation opportunities. This helps keep the opportunity owners accountable. Data analytics is becoming an important tool for pinpointing revenue and enhancement and operational improvement opportunities as well. And in the survey, it became clear that ESG has moved from being an ancillary or add-on consideration to a core part of PE firm strategies, as well as their value creation efforts. And I expect to see this grow and expand in the future. The last point I want to make is about exit planning. In the survey, there was a large increase in the percentage of respondents who indicated that exit readiness will be a challenge or focus in the next 12 months. The market is still very competitive, so it's necessary to carefully plan for any potential exit well in advance of the exit itself. We're seeing planning five years out from exit. And it's important to make sure that value creation initiatives are properly executed to maximize valuation and exit. Almost 40% of the survey respondents said that they already place heavy emphasis on potential paths to exit when evaluating a potential target which means scrutinizing any synergy or value creation opportunities during due diligence. And I expect that number to increase in the future. Back to you, Todd. Thanks, Alan. Now back to our conversation with Alice Birnbaum and Stephen Connor. For the second half of the program, I'd like to explore the deal origination process and your outlook for deals. Alice, perhaps you can uh, walk our listeners through the strategies you use for deal origination and what you look for when targeting a deal. Sure. So we're really focused on owner-operated businesses. So founder, family, and management-owned companies that have not already taken on significant private equity capital. So our investment sourcing activities are really focused on trying to find those types of businesses. We spend a lot of time with what we call centers of influence and sell-side advisors who work with founder and family-owned businesses. Our most unique sourcing channel is actually the Brown Brothers Network. 
So as I mentioned earlier, our private equity business sits within Brown Brothers Harriman, a broader bank, which among other things, caters very closely to um, privately held businesses, their owners and families with substantial wealth. And that wealth is often generated from a partial or full sale of a business. So we've developed an ecosystem of businesses and business owners, some number of which may take on an investment partner in a given year. And we in DBH Capital Partners want to be well positioned to be that, that partner of choice. So if you combine that unique ecosystem of business owners and companies with the fact that we can do non-control investing, um, that means that we can invest in companies that may not otherwise be for sale. So that's a pretty compelling sourcing strategy. And it means I spend a lot of my time um, in that ecosystem and talking to business owners who um, may not necessarily have a for sale sign in front of their business, and it may take uh, a long time for them to get there, if ever. Um, but that's how some of our best prospect relationships begin. Yeah, well, certainly compelling, as you say. Sounds uh, very uh, impressive. So, Stephen, I'm just curious uh, how your deal origination strategies may compare to Alice's and what you're looking for in a target. Sure. Yeah, like, like Alice, we are also focused on family-owned, founder-owned, entrepreneur-owned businesses. So that's uh, that's where we're focused. But um, I don't think there's any silver bullet or magic uh, potion for uh, origination strategies. I think it just requires a lot of hard work and can be a grind trying to find the next deal. It certainly entails a lot of traveling. You're constantly on the phone, replying to emails and following up. Everyone in our firm is, uh, has some responsibilities in the business development. So we basically have four channels that we uh, pursue um, with an over, overarching of technology. You know, first channel, intermediaries, which includes investment bankers, lawyers, accountants, centers of influence. And I think, you know, I spend a lot of time there. I think in this day and age, I, there's a lot of, um, you know, auction processes going on. And it's tough to find, in my opinion, it's tough to find that proprietary deal. So do a lot of developing uh, relationship developing with investment bankers and and what have you. And then secondly, we do have a small direct outreach uh, program in our office where we're trying to find that proprietary deal, reaching out directly to the business owner. Um, and then oftentimes we'll utilize a buy side banker to um, pursue a theme that uh, we're bullish on. Thirdly, we have a what we call executive affiliate network. They're basically friends of the firm. That are in that have been in related industries where Hamilton Robinson is focused, and oftentimes they'll refer us deals and they'll get involved in the deal themselves, whether it's as a board member or you know in due diligence. And lastly, uh, we'll try to mine our portfolio companies. They may have suppliers, customers, competitors that are going through some type of uh, transition or change that needs some capital infusion. So we've been successful there a couple times. Um, so that's what the fourth avenue. And then, like I said, everything's overarched with um, technology, our CRM system, and we utilize other databases where we track all our activity to see where deals are coming from, see what deals we didn't see. And oftentimes we track deals that didn't close and we try to follow up. Uh, maybe there's a broken deal. Um, so that's, that's kind of how Hamilton Robinson uh, pursues our business development activities. So, Stephen, I think my key takeaway from your answer there was that you find accounting firms to be a center of influence, which I appreciate. 
Well, especially BDO, Todd. You know that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I'm interested to get both of your perspectives on this next question. We'll start with Alice. So, Alice, how have you seen the deal origination process change in the past year or so? And do the companies uh, that you're targeting look different from a year ago? Yeah. So the types of companies that we're targeting really has not changed that much in the last year. We look for durable businesses that perform across market cycles. Since given our hold period, we may own a business through market cyclicality. So we don't really change how we invest or the types of companies we look for uh, based on news headlines. With that said, there are certainly factors that we need to be cognizant of right now. Um, those include supply chain issues, labor challenges, rising costs, and the importance of pricing power, for example. So businesses that can pass on rising costs to their customers. That's always been something we look for in businesses, but the importance of that is really being highlighted right now. Um, another dominant headline right now is the availability of leverage for buyout transactions. So we also need to keep that in mind as we think about transaction structures this year. All right. Appreciate the insight. Uh, Stephen, over to you and the same question. How have you seen the deal origination process change recently and how has that impacted your, uh, your strategy? Yeah, like Alice, I don't think our, you know, uh, the pursuit of the individual company has changed at all. I mean, we're still um, have to deploy capital and we're focused in that commercial and industrial space. So in that regard, that hasn't changed. But just the actual process, I mean, you know, one big thing that has changed, obviously, is travel. Um, you know, I'm traveling a lot more than I did a year ago, uh, going to different, uh, you know, industry events, whether they're ACG events or others industry events, and then city visits. I think the one area that you have to be a little, you know, it's a little trickier now, you know, you're reaching out to people and you're going to a city and you try to set up a meeting. Oh, I'm working from home that day. I'm not sure if I'm going to be in the office. So you always have to, you know, take that into consideration, um, you know, when you're setting up your city visits. And I have to admit, like, you know, the, the Zoom meetings, I, I didn't mind those one bit. I, you know, to have a Zoom meeting in the comfort of your own office or your own home, it uh, was quite easy and you could finish in you know a few hours and no travel, no hotel, and uh, you could sleep in your own bed. So I didn't mind that. I think Zoom meetings are still going to be uh, prevalent going forward, but maybe not as much. Digging in a bit further here, I'm wondering if there were any specific challenges your sectors have faced recently that potentially caused you to rethink your deal origination strategy. Uh, again, Alice, I'll go to you first. Sure. So. For companies that make or sell products, we're really seeing how the supply chain is impacting those businesses. We're seeing heightened inventory levels and the impact on working capital as businesses change from just-in-time to just-in-case inventory management. For services businesses, which we also invest in, they can be more labor-intensive business models. So the impact of wage pressures and the availability of labor has been a challenge that they've been facing. Makes sense. Just in case, I think, is that an Alice term? <laughs> no, I think, I think that's an industry term. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I haven't, uh, I'm not sure I've heard that one. All right, Stephen, same question. How about you? Yeah, like most companies, uh, you know, in our sector, the commercial industrial sector, you know, we're dealing with labor shortages, supply chains, and inflation. 
Uh, so we're battling that. I don't think it has changed our origination strategy at all. I mean, again, like I said, we have to deploy capital or we're looking for platform investments. Um, you know, if we were a generalist firm, you know, potentially we shift gears and focus a little more on a particular industry. What I think has changed is our diligence efforts, you know, focus in the labor shortage, the supply chain and inflation. Um, we've had companies that uh, have um, are short labor and haven't been able to get product out the door. But the other interesting thing, too, is as far as like the recession goes, we did a survey with all our, our portfolio companies. And it seems like, you know, a lot of them have record backlogs and um, are very healthy. They're able to pass on price increases. So you hear the word recession. And I guess technically, given the two down GDP quarters, we're in a recession. But um, our portfolio companies haven't really seen it, which is uh, we're happy about. All right. Well, good to have those perspectives. And as you uh, just touched on with the economy likely soon to be in a recession, if we're not already in one, how do you think that's going to impact deal origination, especially in your industries of focus? Um, Stephen, let's start with you. Again, I don't think it's going to change our strategy. The one area where I think we may shift gears a little is looking at oftentimes during a recession, some of the smaller companies uh, Maybe struggling financially, or you know, we can uh, find potential add-ons uh, there. But overall, you know, platforms as a platform, you know, we're entrusted to deploy capital by our LPs, and and um, we're just going to stick to what we're doing. Yeah, makes sense, Alice. Same, same to you. How do you think the recession is going to impact uh, your deal origination, if at all? Yeah, I, I think the toughest issue for the transaction market is uncertainty in the direction of the economy, which is something I, I mentioned earlier. There is a lot of bearishness, but at the same time, a lot of companies are still performing well right now. So it's hard to coalesce around what's going on. I think once we establish a more stable environment, deal activity is gonna benefit from that. When it comes to valuation and structure, I don't think buyers wanna be dramatically overpaying for businesses right now, but there is still a lot of committed but uncalled capital we need to put to work and private equity usually positions itself to make the most of an evolving market. It's It's been a pretty uh, resilient, adaptive, and creative asset class. One way of contending with uncertainty is, I think, testing owner-operators' conviction in future performance, maybe not cashing out business owners as much, um, and instead asking them to roll over some equity. So don't just say the next five years will be the best five years for your business yet, but prove it. That could be a strategy seen more when, when there's a recession looming. Makes a lot of sense. So believe it or not, we've reached the, uh, the last topic of the day. And we usually like to wrap these uh, podcast episodes uh, with uh, a crystal ball question. So this one I'll, I'll ask both of you. We'll start with Stephen. I'd like to get uh, your predictions on the future of deals. We talked about some of the challenges we could see in a recession, but what opportunities do you foresee for deal origination in your sectors and at your firms going forward? Again, Stephen, kick us off. Sure. I mean, I've been doing business development for 12 years. Uh, when I first started, you know, you heard that there's going to be an onslaught or torrent of baby boomer owned companies coming to market and you know, every year you wait for that to happen and it never really materialized. Um, you know, obviously, I think one reason was if you sell your company, where are you going to put your proceeds? And, you know, 
interest rates were so low. So there was really no place to park your proceeds. And at that point in time, you didn't really want to put it in the market because it was pretty volatile. So I still think there's quite a few baby boomers uh, companies to be sold. And I think the other big trend that will be benefiting our firm, you know, on the you know, niche manufacturing side is the made in America trend going forward. You know, we all know about the supply chain issues that have been wreaking havoc on manufacturers. So it's important that we have the ability to produce essential products in the U.S. So we've been seeing reshoring of uh, opportunities coming, um, the higher quality in the U.S., better lead times that we can provide our customers. So we're very bullish on, you know, the manufacturing B2B space uh, going forward. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. So I'm optimistic that deal flow will continue to be strong going forward and um, uh, we'll be uh, in a good position. All right. Always like the optimism. Alice, what's your outlook? Yeah, I, I agree with Stephen, and I think he made a really good point earlier on. Um, in terms of opportunities, if you see economic softness on the horizon, and this is the point that Stephen made, the ability to take advantage of that through M&A is pretty compelling. So the ability for a company to be an industry consolidator, I think, is more important now than ever, and it's something we'll definitely be looking for. We've also always had, and I, I've mentioned this earlier, a flexible investment mandate. So we can do control, but we can also do non-control deals. So that allows us to run the same playbook regardless of what the market's doing. All right, well, really a lot of great stuff there to think about and we're in an interesting economic climate. So we'll see how this plays out. So that's it for this episode. But uh, Alice and Stephen, I really appreciate you joining me today. We value the relationships with uh, BBH Capital and Hamilton Robinson Capital. And I know you're both busy. So thanks again. Likewise, thanks. Todd. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, Todd. Of course. To our listeners, thanks so much as always for tuning in. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, this is BDO's Private Equity Perspectives. The views presented by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective firms. 